good morning. This is Hacker Mike coming at you at 5.40 in the morning from the heart of New Jersey in the suburbs of Trenton, <clears throat> a place which likes to call itself Princeton South because it's south of Princeton. It just, it's almost like butter. It tastes just like Princeton. <clears throat> Considering that Trenton has such a bad rep and Princeton is so nice, everyone wants to identify with a fancy university. But um, our postal code shows up as Trenton, so there you go. It doesn't show up as Princeton. <clears throat> so it's a beautiful, cloudy day. I can't see Venus. She has left me. The star of beauty. We had a uh, good. We had a good uh, couple of clip podcasts <clears throat> in the last couple of days. It's been very interesting. I just finished listening to Jocko's presenting his book on the hiring process but, and that they've written Echelon Front. They do recruiting for people. And it's quite interesting. The murder squad, uh, the murder uh, interviews, where they li line up a bunch of um, your weak points and then just go after it. That's a thing. They're saying that they want every question to provoke an emotional response and every question to be planned. So that's. Um, that's quite interesting. And I was listening to the book about um, Henry Kissinger on the New Books Network, but I fell asleep. It was also quite interesting. Today is Thursday, the No Agenda Day. Okay, we got people coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. morning looks like people are moving into my time zone here yeah I have to get up earlier so I was um, playing Minecraft this morning and last night and I've reached a new level with my monster grinder, and I'll tell you about it. So basically, a monster grinder is a tool that you build. A lot of what you do in Minecraft are hacks. It's a hack. So there's this thing, monsters will spawn in darkness if you're in the area of them. But monsters will also spawn 
if um, you have a monster spawner. If you're lucky enough to find a monster spawner in the dungeon, don't destroy it. It'll keep on spawning monsters when you're around. But I've tricked it so when the monsters spawn, the skeletons, they will fall. And before I had them falling to their death and I collected lots of bones and arrows from them. But I wasn't getting the stuff that I really wanted, which was XP and armor and weapons. So now I um, raise the floor on the uh, dead, dead drop so that it's just one level. Um, I raise it up to where they don't die, but just by one block. So they fall, they take a significant damage. And some of them do die because they fall from one block higher. But let's say 90% of them fall from a certain level and they fall and they do not die. So that they have one hit left of damage. They have like a half a heart left. <clears throat> so then I have them corralled in this area and um, then I go in and kill them and I get all the XP. So that's working out great. And then I finally figured out what to use that XP for. So I set up a anvil, which allows you to combine two bows together. Um, and I take an enchanted bow of unbreaking and I, I combine that with a, a power two bow or whatever. And it makes it unbreaking power two and it also recharges it but that requires XP. So your XP is consumed when you're enchanting items. So I finally figured out what to do with all that XP. Use that to enchant items or to merge enchanted items together. So now I'm going to build up the ultimate armor and uh, tool set so we can have enchanted golden armor that we've gotten from skeletons. So that is a lot of fun. It's fun because we're watching this video game show. It's an open world. You can set your own goals. And there's so many little things that they've programmed in. And you have a homogenous way of interacting with them. But really, we're just hacking, hacking the system. And it's fun to hack it, to figure out the parameters by experimentation. Whew. Well, enough about Minecraft. And um, this is just my little intro. So I don't know what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to update my podcast lists and look and see if there's anything interesting we want to go over. All right. And this show is live. You can call in and leave me a voicemail or you can join the chat. Just hit me on Telegram. And um, <clears throat> all right. Yeah, so we're going to start with uh, some short clips 
from a book they reviewed was which is how to talk to a climate um, denier let me see communication strategy for engaging climate skeptics um, <clears throat> and uh, I just wanted to uh, I, I was really taken aback by some of the things they said um, and I just wanted to clip the juiciest parts no, normally I would in, would clip mostly the um, person who's being interviewed and skip the interviewer but this interviewer is so biased and so radical I think I just wanted to document this for other people to listen to just to get an understanding of what we're dealing with in today's society in terms of the radical left taking over and squashing all dissent and all um, thought so here we go Where do I go? Uh, Emma, are you there? And I'll kick it over to you to tell us more about the book and uh, yourself a little bit, if you don't mind. Hi, Lee. I am here. Uh, yeah, so my name is Emma. I use she, her pronouns. I'm currently an assistant professor at the university. Yeah, so she introduces herself and then says, I go by she, her. So that's like, next time you introduce yourself to someone, you say like, hi, I'm Mike, and I go by he, him, okay? So don't don't get that confused so I do like what she has to say about this she says she has to engage people that people do care about the environment um, <clears throat> where they're more worried about the economy than the environment they make a trade-off um, so and she says that you know you have to treat them as people and talk to them and I think that the lady who wrote the book has actually done a good job. And um, later she'll also tell us that she remains in contact with people and that she wasn't pushy about things. So that's, um, that's good. That's real good. But I am also in support of not just dismissing those communities out of hand and that we can also reach out to them, engage them in personal conversations, or at least acknowledge those perspectives uh, when we do talk about climate change. And I think something that really struck me in doing the work for the book is that of the many people that I interviewed, even those people who were professed climate skeptics, still cared about the environment. And they told hmm. me that they cared about the environment. It was just that they were more concerned about money or their business or mm. their political ideology or their faith. It wasn't that the environment was not important, but that they were ranking other things as more important. So if we acknowledge people as people and sit down and really listen to why they might identify as a climate skeptic or why they hold the beliefs they do, I think we can find we actually have more common ground than we might instinctively think we do. Another... Yeah, this next clip is just an example of an interviewer who basically is talking about these people being basically foreign or basically they're aliens that have to be attacked. They're not members of the uh, club. And um, it's pretty obvious her disdain for these people. Um, I cut out some of the context, but I just wanted to, you know, give you a little taste of what the interviewer is like. She's very biased. Yeah, this next clip is just an example of an interviewer who basically is talking about these people being basically foreign or basically they're aliens that have to be attacked. 
they're not members of the uh, club and um, it's pretty obvious her disdain for these people um, I cut out some of the context but I just wanted to you know give you a little taste of what the interviewer is like she's very biased rankings and then you think about rankings in the in the population the kind of that you're studying there's actually quite a bit of overlap there so it, it, it the way that you're phrasing it doesn't make these people seem as foreign or different than i think a lot of us who are climate change supporters think that so this next clip she basically saying you know we need to get away from this us versus them <clears throat> you know this dividing and the interviewer was just like yeah yeah whatever that's right let's get to the dividing and um, it's just hilarious. And I think it's quite easy uh, and understandable for people to think of someone as a climate skeptic and make assumptions about them. We as people yes. right, make assumptions in order to work our ways through our lives. So I think that's totally understandable. What I'm trying to do in the book is say, can we move past that initial I believe in support climate change? You don't. So we can actually have productive conversations and move somewhere with that topic. Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to kind of get us to the meat of the book, you divide the the groups or the, well, you divide this. Yeah. So climate change deniers are not stupid and ignorant, um, but they're just people. The interviewer even admits that or repeats that. Um so that's good. And then uh, they're talking about salient. And I think salient means salty. So they're saying that race is a salty topic right now. Versus being environmentally friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the audience, uh, we have this concept in rhetoric that I love, which is this idea of salience. And so right, we're very contradictory human beings. We have all kinds of different contradictions going on inside of us all the time. It's, it's not bad. It just is what it is. And one of the ways that we make that work is some things are more salient at any given time than at other times. And so part of what rhetoric does is think about how do we make particular issues salient, more salient than at other times. Like race, for example, is very salient right now, but mm -hmm. um, five years ago, it, it still needed to be salient and it wasn't. And so, you know, just to kind of reiterate what Emma said, that climate change skeptics are not just like ignorant or willfully stupid people who just have no common sense, right? They just have different sets of priorities and beliefs that are shifting and contradictory, very similar to what a climate change advocate might have. So I think, again, like kind of identifying common ground is going to be crucial to do that kind of engagement work. So this next part, it's a longer clip, and I left it in. I thought it was uh, exemplary. She's, and she brought up some interesting points. So they're saying that the... Um, <clears throat> There's some right-wing uh, fundamentalist groups that are funded by the Koch brothers uh, to promote non-renewable fossil fuels. And she talks about diffusing that. And also she brings up an interesting point about making, encouraging people to do their own research instead of throwing research at them. That's a good idea in general. So... Um, yeah, interesting. Um, I think we're going to wrap this up soon, though, this uh, particular podcast, because I want to move on to some more interesting topics. So this next part, I had to really search for it because I couldn't figure out where I heard it. But uh, <clears throat> she's basically saying, 
you know, how a large majority opinion is being censored by <clears throat> the New York Times, which happens to be the source of truth for Wikipedia. So you can see where this is also going. Um, if the New York Times won't even let you mention an opinion now, um, then it could also never be added as a truth to Wikipedia. So uh, it's an interesting thing to look at and see how the normal way, this is a very much us versus them situation um, that's happening here. A war or a fight between the memes, between the ideas, uh, <clears throat> with soldiers on the front line. So you might wonder why I included this next clip, but I just was taken aback by it. So a lot of times, especially on this New Books Network, and if you listen to my very first episode, you'll hear some very outlandish um, statements about wanting to overthrow the government. And I want to kind of document the left perspective on things here because um, it's so hilarious sometimes and interesting. So, <clears throat> but anyway, um, also the establishment and the whole book publishing process is so broken. So this book is super expensive because it's part of a series. So they invited her to write to a series in the series. They had her change it and they took forever to publish it. Um, and now they're calling for you to buy a copy of this book to support Rutledge and support the entire establishment process. Um, <clears throat> and to put the books into a library. And, um, you know, the question is here, why, why does the book actually have to be published? Why does it have to be so expensive? And who's actually paying for it? Where's this money coming from? Is it coming from the student loans that are, uh, really, uh, causing havoc in America? Um, so I just think it's, um, interesting maybe the student loan uh, is the um, left takeover of the society um, sending kids to the uh, the gulag of the corporate slave job of um, incredible debt and uh, giving the, um, the uh, left uh, teachers their, um, you know, luxury cars and uh, luxurious lifestyle as partyniks. Something to think about as a, as a model uh, <clears throat> of a socialist uh, system, basically. And then think about the default on this debt or even just the um, the uh, forgiveness of it, the entire idea. I I think it's definitely worth uh, considering. So uh, yeah, let's uh, cue this up. I mean, you might wonder why I'm including it, but I was just so taken aback by it, so I had to include it. Website or Amazon, 
The hardcover is quite expensive just to match the pricing of the books in already in the series, but the ebook is much mm-hmm. cheaper. It has all the same content with the executive summaries chapter. And you can also always request that your local library orders a copy. Yes. And we would love to thank Rutledge. They are one of the presses um, that help keep the New Books Network afloat. They also do a unique job of making sure that research like this really gets its due in terms of publication. Um, Some presses rush this stuff through, but Rutledge is is a favorite standard of ours. And the name of the book, again, is Communication Strategies for Engaging Climate Skeptics, Religion, and the Environment. And as Emma said, local libraries, you know, they are the place. And so I always recommend that you either pick up a copy of the book, give it a a gentle read without folding the corners, and then donate it to the library when you're done so that other people can get a chance to enjoy the book, Uh, whether that's a public library, which really needs your help right now, or your university library if you're on a college campus. Or you can actually go in and request that one of those places buy the book. You can kind of give a nudge that this might be a book they want to keep on the shelves. It's tough right now with budget, so I generally recommend that that not be your direct route, but certainly right. for anyone who really loves the book, there's often also um, e-loans and uh, direct uh, library to library lending. So definitely, however you can do it, get a copy. But if you can put one into circulation for everyone to enjoy, it's a nice way to pay back the work that um, scholars like Emma do for people who maybe cannot afford or don't know about these kinds of books until they see them on a public library shelf. And with that little spiel in support of public libraries, which I just love me a library, um, do you want to say anything else, Emma, or tell us about what you're working on now before we... (laughs) Yeah, and we want to thank Emma for the convo. And that's it for this uh, podcast clippage. We're going to move on to the next one. With Emma. All right. Well, Emma, this has been an awesome convo. Thank you so much for the book. I can tell how much work you put into it and it definitely paid off on, on the end of the reader. And for joining us on New... And now for something completely different. This clip is about Vault 7, the leaked uh, CIA hacking tool. Shane Harris writes for the Washington Post and he joins us with details from his recent story on an elite CIA unit that developed hacking tools but came up short when securing its own systems. Well, we have been following this story uh, for more than a year now. This relates to a huge uh, leak or disclosure of CIA computer hacking tools that occurred back in March 2017 when they were published on WikiLeaks, uh, which gave this release the name Vault 7, which your listeners may be familiar with. We were uh, following that when it occurred, uh, and then we later broke the story about uh, the government arresting someone who they suspected in the leak itself, a former CIA employee. Uh, And so we've just sort of been on this for a while now, covering his trial uh, as well. Uh, And once this report, this internal report came to light, it was shared with us by uh, a senator who is key on these issues as well, Senator Wyden. And it was really the first look that we had had internally to the CIA at how they believed this uh, leak occurred and the assessment of the damage that they gave it as well. Your your article mentions that perhaps there were some misunderstandings between the folks who ran the unit and the people who maintained the network, that, that there might have been some problem with some contractors? Yes. One of the issues that got uh, noted in the report is this question around whether or not this network on which the CIA employees were building these cyber tools, and we should emphasize this is a network that is separate from the larger enterprise network of the CIA. So it's kind of its own discrete little sandbox, if you will, that the engineers who were working on that presumed 
that they had an ability to audit that network. Um, it turns out that that actually was not as well-maintained as these offensive folks thought, uh, and that the network itself was being maintained by contractors. And this former official told us that there was this misunderstanding between the people who run the unit and the people who maintained the network. And now, of course, we see why that misunderstanding and that disconnect proved to be so disastrous. But what this person was essentially saying is like, look, these were separate jobs. And, you know, and the offensive guys assumed that the contractors were protecting them in ways that ultimately they just weren't. Hmm. How is the CIA responding to this report? Has there been much pushback or are they are they taking their lumps and, and looking at as lessons learned? I think the latter, really. I mean, this the, the, it's our understanding that the, the panel that did this review, and, and they're not identified in the report, are well-respected in the agency. There's a sense that, you know, they did do an adequate job. They know what they're talking about. You know, they have enough familiarity with the subject matter. And, you know, and the CIA recognizes that this was not only a huge breach, but they the government lawyers prosecuting the alleged leaker have said in court that it was the biggest unauthorized disclosure of classified CIA information in history. Uh, you know, it, it led to the uh, shutting down of operations. It exposed these tools to American adversaries. So I don't think the agency is trying to sugarcoat it. They know how bad this is, and they are very aggressively pursuing this individual who they think was the leaker. That's Shane. And now for something completely different. We'll go to Free Talk Live, and they open the story. They open with the story about Kenosha rioting, where a man is shot seven times in the back by a police, and it's not clear from their story what happened exactly, but I'll play that clip. Come to it here in just a bit, because uh, immunity, qualified immunity, has been, a, thankfully, a topic of discussion in recent yeah. months, uh, after the George Floyd situation really ramped up uh, some protests and some outrage, rightfully so. Um, about police abuse, and of course, in most cases, the police are protected, as well as other government bureaucrats uh, protected right. from any the rest kind of, of liability. Us, the rest of us do our jobs um, at under a certain level of scrutiny, and uh, police and many other government workers don't have that same level, so um, they have less responsibility. And it seems unwise to let people have less responsibility. It seems like if you incentivize um, somebody to have – you take away responsibility in a situation, then that person's going to act ir- irresponsibly. Yep. So we got that story. And then also – I don't know if you've heard, but there are some pretty intense protests that have been going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and we, ta- we did cover some of this last night specifically – reviewed the video or one of the videos i don't know if there's more than one but of a man being shot to death by a police officer in his as he was opening the door to his car um it's only about a 25 second 26 second video have you seen it mark i don't like to no i don't like to watch those videos in particular but you know did you watch it yeah i did yeah sometimes i do feel like you know we got to watch a thing just to be able to talk about it so what do you think you saw in that video well what i saw and there was 25 seconds isn't a lot of time at the time the rumor was that he had said he was going to get a gun now i've heard that he said he was going to get a knife or they thought that he was going to get a knife or something like that. It's supposedly the police were under the belief that he might be going to to retrieve a weapon. 
which makes me question why they didn't go ahead and stop him before he got to the car. So in the video, again, very short, you can see him walking from the passenger side of the car around the front of the car to go to the driver's side door, open it, and attempt to do something. And at that point, he is then shot to death in the back uh, by the police officer who was behind him the whole time. So it wasn't as though the officer was completely out of range of this person. It was the officer was within an arm's reach of this man the entire time as he circled around the front of the car. And the officer sort of gives a half-assed grab to him like as he's as he's rounding the final corner heading to the the door to go open it from the front of the car. The officer kind of gives a half-assed grab. It kind of grabs at his arm or his shoulder or whatever. He doesn't Mm -hmm. really go all all in. And then shoots Uh, him. And then he finally gets around behind him when he opens the door and blasts him like seven or eight eight times. Now, also keep in mind, the officer had his gun drawn and pointed at the man through the entirety of the video. Was he yelling or we don't know that because there's no audio? Uh, There is audio in the video, but it's taken from like across the street. So I'm not sure what the cacophony was. I didn't analyze the audio too close um, at that time. But this this guy knew he was being followed by the police because they'd responded to a domestic call. Mm -hmm. So he was being followed by the police out to his car. The video picks up, again, right when he's sort of like rounding the front of the car, coming from the back of the car, rounding the front to go into the the driver's side door. And again, the cop has the gun trained on him as he's following him. It's like... If you're a gun owner or you're a gun, you know, responsible gun user, one of the things they teach you besides, you know, never point a gun at someone you don't intend to kill. That's like rule number one. Even if the gun is unloaded, you don't point a gun at somebody unless you are planning to pull the trigger and kill them. Generally, you're disabused. (laughs) Generally, you're disabused of the idea as a responsible gun owner to just pull a gun and like start telling people to do things or whatever right like to to just hold it on somebody or whatever generally the idea is if you're going to pull the gun shoot it that's you should be doing that at the very least if you're a cop and you're going to pull a gun on a guy then you should be effecting an arrest right you should be then saying well you should be giving orders um Mm -hmm. certainly um well i don't think this cop was giving the order to go round the front of the car and open the door and get something out was he getting the order of get get on the ground or you know whatever the case may be you're under arrest i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know um but if he wasn't telling him he was under arrest first of all if he was telling him he was under arrest the dude wasn't doing what he was told to do and in, in cop world that means you can take him down now maybe it this officer usually means shoot them, but I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. The cop did not take him down when he had I ample see. opportunity because he was following him take with him his gun drawn. Right. So wrestle right. him to the ground, he, and he had backup. Now it was a female cop that was backing him up, but nonetheless, you had two she cops. She can shoot people. She can. You got two cops. You got one guy, and it's like, okay, if you told this guy he was under arrest, you should have been arresting him, not following him around with your gun waiting till he opens the door, and then blasting him to death. You should have arrested him prior to that. But it it would seem to me like this particular officer, maybe he, I mean, if I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and that I generally don't do, maybe he was afraid to make the arrest, but that still doesn't explain why he got behind him and then blasted him None of it makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you. His- if he wanted to kill a guy, then it makes sense that he waited. 
Because if he knew that he was going to get a weapon, if that's what the guy had announced, and that's yep. allegedly what happened, I don't know what the truth is, right? So allegedly, this cop had been informed that this man might be going for a gun or a knife in his car. Right. Which would mean that the cop, if he's you know smart enough to know how the rules work— Once he touches the weapon, then— Then he can blast him and get away with killing a guy. And we know that there are cops, not all of them, but there are some cops who are total psychopaths who absolutely got into that line of work so they can kill people. And that could be who we're dealing with here. And we know that there are people that want to take the easy way out when it comes to suicide. And touching a weapon Mm -hmm. while in the presence of a police officer is a good way to get dead. Um, So... I guess what I would say in this is And this that, guy wasn't a good guy by any means. I just want to make that clear. This, yeah. The victim in this case has a you know, rap sheet with sexual assault on it and things like that. So yeah. probably not a good guy. I, you know, I'm going to leave this one for uh, more information. And I want to see yeah. – I, I certainly want to find out what was – what did he fall down on? Was it a gun? Was it a knife? Was it a semi-automatic rifle? Was it a shotgun? Yeah, what was in the front seat or whatever, Was right? it a copy of today's newspaper? Yeah. I don't know what it was. I didn't see that information. I don't yeah, know if that's out, out That's the thing is, is that um, you know somehow – Radio talk show hosts are supposed to come up with an opinion on every story, uh, you know, moments after it occurs. And all I can tell you is, is the best solution to most problems is more liberty. But sometimes you got to defend yourself against a lunatic. And I'm not sure who's the lunatic in this circumstance. I would, I wouldn't know. Well, they may both be lunatics. Okay, so again, not taking. And the... I don't like to pick sides in that story either. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's what has resulted in the, uh, the the riots that are going on, at, at least in Kenosha. Right, right about now, anybody, somebody gets shot um, by a police officer. There's going to be protests. Okay, this will be the last clip uh, from Free Talk Live, I think. Um, we got a little update on some rioting, and now they're talking about a, uh, a man charged with shooting three people in that same city who was there supposedly to protect some property. We'll find out more about it as it This is all just um, not really high-level information. We're just, just processing news here, which, you know, doesn't really have any um, too many facts. The fact is, I, what I understood is that there's riots and people getting shot in this town. Um, but we need to take a break from news because really um, we're going to stay out of the riot areas and try and focus on learning something now. Uh, I had seen the video of the man being shot to death by the police in Kenosha. Right. This video I have not seen. You have seen it of Kyle Rittenhouse, 17 years old, apparently allegedly shooting as many as two or three people, uh, two of which who uh, apparently have died in or outside of some sort of a riot or protest. Uh, Is there any kind of indicator in this video of what led up to the shooting? Or is it one of those clips where it's like the clip starts and then the shooting starts? Yeah, I don't know what occurred here, but it looks as though uh, Kyle, 17 years old, is wandering around with a uh, semi-automatic rifle in the streets of Kenosha, kind of pointing and gesturing and perhaps ordering people to do things. It would appear as though... He was attacked in some way for some reason. Now, I wouldn't be able to tell you what happened or why it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just I don't have the kind of information. And as a result of getting attacked, 
So by attack, I don't mean necessarily that, that, that somebody initiated force against him. I don't know whether he initiated force first or whatever. But there was a physical confrontation. He was on his back. He fell mm. down with his rifle. Okay. People were attacking him. It looked like somebody who, you know, was this guy was putting a flying leap kick on him. Um, you know, and maybe they just didn't like the idea of a 17-year-old wandering around with a gun in the streets. And um, they were going to, you know, teach him some uh, lessons or whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, clearly he was attacked and he smoked a couple, uh, a couple of people. I think he shot three and killed two. Yeah, okay, so I did just uh, pull up a copy of this. There appears to be a large group of people running uh, through the streets. Yeah, so there's two videos. One video is basically useless. It's somebody who's running up to the scene as it's occurring. Another one where uh, Kyle's getting up, like, you know, Mm -hmm. on the ground and then, you know, getting up and then there's, uh, you know, that's basically it. Yeah, so if you want to comment on this, please uh, join the show. The toll-free number is 855-450-FREE-LIKE-FREEDOM. That's 855-450-3733. You know, I don't know what what was said, right, prior to this group of men running through the streets. I don't know how many of the men are with Kyle versus with the attackers or the alleged attackers. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it looks like he's outnumbered, right? Presumably it, that's it, why it has that look. That's presumably why he's running away uh, in that case. And you know, again, if they had threatened him, if they said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna hurt you, or we're gonna we're gonna beat you up, or 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 if whatever just, the case may be, yeah. or if for whatever reason he believed that was what was going to happen, is that legal?" Uh, to defend well, yourself if you believe an attack is imminent. I mean, because the man... Well, illegal, I wouldn't propose to know what the laws are yeah. in Wisconsin. Different states seem to have different rules on what an acceptable use of force is. From a moral standpoint, if somebody uh, initiates force against you, you could use a commensurate amount of force against them. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, a tit-for-tat kind of situation. Well, th- and also there is a certain point at which... You can, I think, reasonably believe that you are going, going to, to be, be kicked harmed, to death, right? <laughs> um, so, like, if somebody is coming up to you, and yeah, he's on the ground, right? There's yep. a man running to come up, and that person is is attending or appears to be attempting to harm you. You should, I think, have the legal. Again, I'm not a right. lawyer. I think you have the ability to defend yourself if you believe harm is a coming, and it sure looked like if harm was a coming. If you're if you're lying on your back with yeah. a gun in your hand, and there is a man leaping through the air mm-hmm. at you, feet aimed towards landing on your body. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a difficult time coming to the conclusion that you shouldn't be allowed to pull that trigger. Uh, First off, I would say that it is highly unwise to jump on people that uh, have semi-automatic rifles in their hands. You know, like maybe you should have rethought that particular battle plan. Um, So I don't know exactly what happened here. and, And again... More information would cause me to come, perhaps come to a different conclusion, but at at this point, the small amount of information that I have would say that a um, you know I I I'd like to hear more before we I start convicting old Kyle of anything. So there is a uh, thanks to our listeners who are busily posting information in the on air chat room on our Discord server, which you can join over at discord.lrn.fm. According to Twitter. Uh, account Elijah Schaefer, 
says, I spoke with the alleged shooter earlier in the night who stated he was there to protect property. He did not make racist comments, condemned Black Lives... He did not condemn Black Lives Matter or mention political motivations for his actions. He did say that he was there to protect property and was carrying a firearm. So... And uh, I... That, that doesn't exactly sound true to me. Now... Again, allegedly he was there to protect Carlot, from what else I've read. Elsewhere. Okay, because the thing that it, it looked like he was wandering around in the street, you know, pointing uh, and, and ordering people to do things. Video or uh, recorded in the hours before the shooting shows Rittenhouse hanging out with older armed men who say they're protecting a Carlot. Rittenhouse came from Antioch, Illinois, did a video interview with the Daily Caller in front of a boarded-up building. Quote, people are getting injured, and our job is to protect this business, Rittenhouse says in a clip. He says further, and my job is also to protect people. If someone's hurt, I'm running into harm's way. That's why I have my rifle. I've got to protect myself, obviously, but I also have my med kit, unquote. This is an excerpt here from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel story about how Rittenhouse has been charged with shooting three people, two of them fatally. Yeah, he doesn't sound like somebody in that interview. Um, you know, they're they're looking for a bloodthirsty, um, you know, rootin' tootin' guy ready to kill somebody, and he doesn't sound that way in that interview. Toll free number tonight eight fifty five four fifty free like freedom. That's eight five five four five zero three seven three three. You want to weigh in on what you think? Uh- okay, so I did pull one final clip from this um, Free Talk Live where they go over if Black Lives Matters is a Marxist or anarchist organization and they talk about the libertarian principles of um, non-aggression and freedom to associate. There's an interesting discussion there and I think that um, they've got uh, a differentiated point of view that provokes thought and not violence. So it's definitely worth listening to. In your chat, there's some libertarians who are going against him and saying he deserves it, whatever he gets. Uh, I mean, I'm not a libertarian, but this is one thing that I, I mean, if we agree on the Second Amendment being for anything, is it not for private citizens to defend themselves during an anarchist riot? Well, I, mean, I don't know if these were anarchists, but uh, it was definitely well, some BLM people. BLM is anarchist. They well, I've heard BLM so. is Marxist, which is a completely different thing. Yeah, anarchists are actually not Marxists. Yeah, and but... also remember when you say BLM uh, no, is— No, there's anarcho-communists. There's anarcho-communists. Sure, but an anarcho—okay, so a Marxist is a, is a communist, but not all communists are Marxists. Anarchists... Yeah, there are anarcho-Marxists, too. Okay, well, um, at, at, I, then I wouldn't understand the definition of that terminology. As I understand it, uh, a Marxist would suggest that uh, communism would come through socialism. An anarchist would suggest that communism could be created without oh. ever having gone through socialism. We're getting lost in the weeds here. Indeed. It's not the point about whether or not they are. All right. Well, the point is when you say BLM is and then you fill in another description, um, that's not true. The Black Lives Matter is a couple of things, right? So there's an organization of people who call themselves Black Lives Matter, and those people are allegedly a Marxist group from what I've heard. But then there's also Black Lives Matter as an idea 
which is much larger than the organization. So, for instance, when I was at a Black Lives Matter event here in Keene, I would not be able to tell you how many of the attendees were actually members of the organization known as Black Lives Matter. There may have been zero to a handful of them. I don't know. I think most of the people there were a bunch of folks who just support the idea of uh, Black Lives Matter. And that can include a whole lot of people who are not uh, Marxists or anarchists or anything like that. But what's your point? Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, sure. We're, we're, we're getting lost in the weeds about what these people were. Well, no, what, it's what not getting lost is, in the weeds. It's an important point about individuals kind of not all right thinking now. the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, what they are doing, though, is either acting or not acting. They are defending the violent rioting of several cities well, they are not necessarily that? doing that again you're talking about people in groups oh my and it's God, not fair dude, come on it's not fair well that's kind of the point here there's is, is plenty that, of people who well, are not defending the rioting they are actually trying to stop the rioting right so i mean if if i were to right, they, decide so they are going against blm then it, look BLM if i were to decide riots. the young man that's not what i've heard if i was to decide the young man was wrong because he was out there with these uh militia uh groups and the militia groups or hate groups and the hate group uh, hate black people and uh, racists should all die. If I made a decision like that, then I would be making decisions based on groups. What I try to do, because I believe in individual liberty, is, is I try to make decisions based on individual actions. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things during these protests. I think everybody should go home because it's unsafe out there. But nobody wants to listen to me anyway, so I just have to judge. I have to call the ball as it flies by because that's what an umpire does yeah okay fine i mean i disagree with that but but disagree regardless your characterization of it regardless this is whatever then then let's take blm out of it for a second okay good these are these are violent rioters Mm -hmm. going into cities can can we localize it to that can we agree yeah i agree with that absolutely that you, you you have eyes and you can see that there are violent riots. Absolutely, going on. they are rioting. There are rioters there, as we've pointed out. The rioters are not necessarily the protesters. They are not necessarily one and the same. Okay, but so what? Do you think this is some right wing conspiracy where right wingers are going in and doing this? No, um, although I do think that some of the... I think it's a bunch of idiots that want that are itching for a fight and are getting it. I think you've got amongst the the rioters. I think Maybe. you have that different groups. I think you have different groups amongst the rioters. I think you have the group of people who is genuinely upset at the status quo of the police and they are doing the wrong thing to try to express themselves. I think you have a group of people who sees an opportunity to just come and destroy some things and they're going to do it. They have no ideology whatsoever. They are just troublemakers and they're just looking to destroy. And I think you also have undercover police who are also uh, ginning up violence and creating situations to try to encourage uh, more of this stuff happen. I think you've got the very least those three groups and within the rioter uh, subgroup. Okay, so this kid now is there with a – by all accounts, he legally owned that gun. Mm-hmm. Um, he's there. He, get, he gets attacked. Uh, I, I forget. I think he got pepper sprayed actually at one point, but he did also physically get attacked by – I don't know if they were looters or rioters or people who just saw him with a gun and didn't want him. But he gets attacked. Then he shoots in self-defense. Yes, he killed two, two people and injured a third. 
but where I mean, there were people in your chat here, and, and I've talked to other people who are going against him because he's pro-cop. And yeah, we saying, had one of the callers well, earlier, uh, Pizza Cake Man, had taken that position as well. Um, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, BC. So. Including that chat, and it's called Free Talk Live. Yeah, so. Just because it's our chat doesn't mean we agree with no, everyone but is in that, there. Is that the libertarian stance? There is no The, the libertarian, libertarian stance on this is that uh, to aggress against somebody is immoral and that you may uh, react with an equal amount of force against somebody who's aggressing against you. And we don't know what happened with this young man it for looks sure. like defense from what we've it, seen to if you're me, on your back and there's a guy taking yeah. a flying leap at your head then i say well he's within his right you've got an ar in your hand right and 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 by the way pizza cake man who i think was the commenter you're referring to i think he did yeah, say that that, a retard. i think he did say that he, i think he's pretty smart actually i met him uh, a few weeks ago when he was up here in new hampshire yeah, but I'm, I'm uh sorry. you know you're kind of rude to people in general so i would expect that out of you but uh, anyway, uh, his point, I think, was that he thinks that the young man might have been in the right, but that he's not going to spend time supporting him. He's not going to like go to a rally uh, to support him because he's a cop supporter, ultimately. And that's certainly his freedom of association, which is also you know, a very uh, libertarian thing to do, to make the choice with whom you associate. But you also ultimately, libertarianism decide- is just the non-aggression principle. That's really all it boils down to. It's just saying, hey, don't hit people, and if somebody does try to hit you, you have a right to defend yourself you know that's it right that's all it is um uh, you know on top of that i wouldn't have been in this lot defending a car lot mm-hmm. defending cars from protesters i mean that seems that seems to me like somebody who's spoiling for a fight now um you know that's that's your decision if you want to go out there and you've got rights but you're now in a look mm-hmm. you know the probable almost certain future occurred yeah, and the worst possible future, and, with the exception it, of getting well, killed. Not yet. I mean, at this point, he has not gone to death row. True. We don't know whether he's just been charged for political purposes or yeah. what the situation is. BC, thanks for the call tonight. Appreciate the discussion. And the the other thing that um, he had said there that I did want to pick apart just a moment was he said BLM supports the riots. And I certainly don't pay attention to everything BLM says, okay? There's a lot of BLMs out there. There's BLMs in every city. But I will say this. At the BLM events, quote, BLM events that I've gone to here in New Hampshire, I've been to a multiple, like three or four of them. Uh, there was never any exhortations to violence. It was always about uh, remaining peaceful. All of the speeches that were being made were about that. So in no way, shape, or form was there any kind of uh, endorsement of burning things down or destroying things. And that was just New Hampshire. Now, maybe Oakland's different, right? Like, I don't know. So we'll see you tomorrow night. You can join us online. In the meantime, we're over at freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live is aired on nearly 200 radio stations throughout the world. Now for something completely different, we're going to get into some neurological things, the brain from inside out, and the guy is going to be introduced now, but he's going to say that the brain is a system for generating action, not for perceiving. So let's hear his perspective on this. Today I'm speaking with Yuri Pisaki. Dr. Pisaki is the Biggs Professor of Neurosciences at New York University. He's Put simply, one of the most celebrated and respected neuroscientists working in the field today. He's the recipient of multiple awards, including the prestigious Brain Prize for his work on hippocampal cortical circuits. He's the author of over 300 peer-reviewed scientific publications, and his first book, Rhythms of the Brain, which is a tour de force of mechanisms and scientific understanding of facilitatory brain activity, is something approaching 
kind of biblical status amongst practicing neuroscientists. It's really obligatory reading for anyone who works on brain rhythms. But today we're going to be talking about Yuri's new book, The Brain from Inside Out. So in this book, he presents his take on the idea that the brain is fundamentally not a receptive information processing device, but rather a system for generating action. Uh, in addition to this, this core thesis, the book is littered with fascinating facts about brain organization, as well as insightful reflections on things like the scientific method and contemporary neuroscientific practice and thinking. So, Yuri, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, John. So now we're going to introduce this guy who uh, I like him already, total nerd, and he was building radios. So, um, sounds like a Russian accent with a name like Yuri. So, uh, this is going to be fun. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Hey, this wouldn't be the stream of random if we didn't um, interrupt you with random ideas. So first of all, if we're going to be sampling a computer, a CPU, a processor, and maybe we can consider the brain to be such a thing, um, if you just stop a program at any point, randomly, and you keep on doing that, the chances are you'll be stopping in the part of the program that takes up the most time. Imagine that. A very simple principle. So. I'm just um, thinking to myself uh, that we are reacting to things that we hear and we are reacting to audio clips or things that we see or I see. I'm reacting to things that I see, things that I hear, things that I've experienced in some kind of window and I'm processing them and sharing them with you, trying to give sense and meaning to it, or to just share some insights. Um, so this is some kind of function, an information processing function. I guess it does result in action, if we are action-oriented. I don't know, but uh, those are just some ideas that I had while uh, thinking about this. We're processing this audio, so I have a little break. And I'm just going to throw in some ideas as we go. Uh, I'm a curious person. And uh, my curiosity, curiosity probably started with the radio waves. I always wondered how we can communicate. As a child, I started to build radios. In high school, I became a ham radio. I learned the Morse code. I built antennas, receivers, transmitters. And I had a goal in front of me laid out, which is... Uh, to learn how to communicate from different parts of the world if you use the moon as a bouncer. And, uh, you know, that naivety uh, was terminated by my parents' decision, and I went to medical school. But from the second year in medical school, I worked in a brain research laboratory, and I realized that many of the ideas I already had about oscillations, feed-forward, feedback networks, and communication and coding is uh, is in the uh, they are all in the brain and uh, and I had a very charismatic professor who set me on the right track. I started with him working on the hippocampus structure, which is in the depth of the brain, uh, very far away from the peripheral sensors. So and it's full with rhythms. So then my 
career was set there. Thanks. That's that's. Wow, mind blown. So he talks about action grounds brain patterns that are generated internally onto external items. And this ties into the cybernetics and designed by action and acting. So this is great stuff here. Great, great, great. Uh, you mentioned my first book, The Rhythms of the Brain. The first sentence of the book, of that book is that Brains are foretelling devices. That is, they predict the future. And uh, that philosophy was laid out in a, in a mini version in that book. But I realized over the years that that uh, thought is probably worth discussing further. And the reason for that is that when you look at current neuroscience, it it is in a... Uh, interesting framework that with simplification you can say it's an outside in organization now what i mean by that is that ever since the time of aristotle we've been thinking about the brain as a a blank slate as a as a book that has to be written and, and filled in with words and then sentences and so on and then it becomes a a rich source of of knowledge so this philosophy portrays the brain as a uh, information absorbing device whose main goal is to learn about the truth of the world uh, outside and then we can go on and and, and discuss why this is a uh, in my view a dead end uh, so I suggested an alternative way which I call the inside out approach which is starting from the, the brain and uh, understanding that the brain's goal is to help the body to survive and generate actions and predict the consequences of its of its action. And then it leads to a next level of problems is that if it's not a blank slate device, then what is what is the role of learning in the, in the outside in, you know, every single new learning episode does some big change in the brain. And uh, we'll discuss later why this is a problem. But the alternative solution is that the brain is already equipped with its own dynamic, a stable dynamic. It generates incredible number of patterns. Uh, we call them neural sequences or neural trajectories. And these trajectories are available to be matched with something interesting in the out outside world. So in this new framework, uh, learning and experience is a matching process. Uh, that is happening with the help of action. Action is the, the, the mechanism by which existing brain patterns are ground 